continue our study in the book of Romans. Last week we started chapter 6. Uh, we took one stab of kind of looking big picture at the whole chapter and how it was structured. And we noticed how it was structured around two uh, what then questions. Verse 1, what shall we say then? And then verse 15, what then? And we spent most of our time last week uh, focused around that, that first question. And these questions we described as being objections or perversions of this gospel of grace message that Paul has presented. And that first um, perversion was this idea, well, um, if, uh, if grace uh, abounds and superabounds to counteract sin, then let sin all the more so that grace will abound all the more. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul's answer is that emphatic, by no means, no, no, <laughs> no, uh, pulling his hair out. And we saw that he went on to say, um, describe how we have been freed from the dominion of sin because of our union with Christ and his death and resurrection. So the, the idea is that sin should no longer rule over us because by Christ's death, we've been freed from that sin. Um, that Christ's death has done a definitive work, and we're in his death. So as Christ died on the cross, so we died with him. And so therefore, we died to the power of sin and death. So it no longer has the same ruling authority over us. Um, so today, as we pick up our reading, um, I'll actually start in verse 14, and, and just to let you know, we're going to go all the way to verse 6 of chapter 7. Um, I've kind of convinced myself over the last week that the first six verses of chapter 7 really belong to this um, section. And again, it's because of these questions. Uh, so we have, you know, what shall we say then in chapter 6, verse 1? What then in chapter 6, verse 15? And then we get another one in chapter 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? Then we get a... Um, Another one later on in chapter 7. So I kind of convinced myself that the section or this section of Paul um, should be kind of broken down by these questions and organized. So that's what we'll do today. We'll look at primarily focus our attention on chapter 6, um, verses 15 to chapter 7, verse 6. But before I read uh, for us, let me open us in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for the life that you um, have provided for us and the, how you give us life. Um, we're reminded, even on a cold, rainy morning, how um, you send your rain upon the earth to water it, to give it nourishment, um, and that uh, life may um, abound uh, upon it. And so we ask uh, this morning that uh, you would uh, reign your spirit upon us, that your word might abound in our hearts and minds as we ponder the depths of who you are and what you've done uh, for us, and especially this morning as we ponder our relationship with you, how, um, how we are uh, supposed to respond to this um, gospel truth and the gospel work that Christ performed for us on the cross and through his resurrection, that um, it has freed us from sin, but it has not made us 
uh, autonomous. Instead, it's, it's made us um, your servants, and even as we'll see in a few chapters, uh, Paul will say it makes us your children. So um, help us to understand uh, these words, our relationship to sin and to the law, but um, also, even more, our relationship to you uh, through obedience and seeking to do uh, your will, not out of slavish fear, but out of, of love and reverence for our heavenly Lord and Savior. Give us your spirit this morning. Help that spirit um, uh, empower us uh, for life. Help us to live in the new way of the spirit by instructing us and conforming us um, to your um, teaching um, that you've committed to your church. Uh, help us to uh, speak with one another and uh, together uh, reveal your truth uh, for us by the power of your spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, uh, let me read for us. I'm actually going to start in, in chapter 6, verse 14, just as so we can sort of see how his next question responds to the culminating verse of the prior section. And then, again, I'm reading through chapter 7, verse 6. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who are... I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she, would be, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, 
aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Uh, may he bless it as we speak of it this morning. All right, so in answer to that first objection to or version of the gospel of grace presented in verse 1, Paul emphasized in verses 1 through 14 that we are free. Um, in answer to the second objection and perversion that Paul presents in, in verse 15, Paul emphasizes we are slaves. Um, so how does that work? How are we both free and yet also slaves? Section one, we're free. Section two, we're slaves. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, in the first one, it's not so much free will, I would say, but more we've been freed from sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. Um, so, you know, if we kind of think of it, like here we are, we're over here in the kingdom of sin, Sin rules over us, and by Christ's death and our union with Christ's death, he's come in, he's shattered the rule of sin. Sin no longer has dominion. We're free, but we're not autonomous. We're not free agents. <laughs> um, it's like we're going back to the old days uh, in baseball, uh, like before players could pick which teams they, like you're either with this team or you're with that team. You're not in a position where you're, uh, you know, sitting out till you get the best offer, or that, you know, um, that you're you're you now become completely independent. Paul is is basically responding like there are two kingdoms, um, to sort of go to the Gospels. Like there is the the kingdom of sin and death and the law, and it's the kingdom of Christ, and you're in one or you're in the other. Um, there is no, you know, there is no on the fence. Um, there is no third option of being, um, oh, what's the guys in Monty Python? You know, we're members of a semi-autonomous <laughs> commune or something. Um, you know, so we don't have a king. Like, no, you're, you can't be in that position. Yeah, we have to understand, in slavery, in Paul's context, for the most part, is, is a voluntary thing. And, and you have some of that language that when you present yourself, some people have sort of taught, seen that language as part of reflecting the Roman um, practice of, you know, if you are in deep, um, deep trouble, 
you don't have any means of subsistence. Like this was kind of a way that you know that the poor who would die of starvation elsewise could save their life would be to present themselves and to be made a slave in order to receive life. Um, so there is that picture of presenting yourself in order to be a slave. Um, so, uh, so there is definitely that aspect, and we have to understand the slavery here as, um, you know, as that lawful transition. <laughs> um, but for, in, in the situation he's describing here, it's not a, a move, and, and this is, I think, the, the kind of cultural conception, modern cultural conception of Christians, that Christianity, I'm free now, and Christianity wants to take away my freedom and put me in under the restrictions that I have to obey. Um, and that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying what those people don't understand, they're enslaved to sin. They're slaves, and they might not even know they're slaves, but they're enslaved to this much worse master um, you know, who brings uh, lawlessness and that increases lawlessness and ends in death and ends in eternal um, damnation. So, um, so it's not a situation where we're free and we're voluntarily presenting ourselves. It's a situation we've been under the dominion of sin and Christ has come in and has struck this decisive blow against sin, freeing us. But in that freedom, um, you know, we can't fall into the idea that now we're free to sin, that we're put into some um, situation in which, well, we've been freed from sin, but now we can still indulge in it if we want to. No, because we've been freed in order to uh, serve God, like our new master has taken over for us. It's like we're still subject to something. Um, and this way he per per personifies sin in this chapter. Like we're either a servant, a slave, a sin. Sin is our master, is our ruler. Or we are a servant, slave of God. And God and righteousness is, is our ruler. Yes. Yeah. So he's using the same, same terminology of slavery. Um, the same language, but we're no longer enslaved to sin, but now we are obedient slaves to righteousness or obedient slaves to God. He uses both terms um, in this to describe our master, or who our master is in this passage. So there's this idea that um, there's no such thing as human autonomy, a freedom from all outside powers and influences. Either sin is ruling over us or Christ and, and his life-giving spirit are ruling over us. So, but there, there is no this idea of humans have complete self-mastery. Um, there's, there's always some kind of ruling force governing us and it's either our sinful passions or it's the life-giving spirit. Um, so the, the idea, again, is, is it, in, in, with this contrast between what he's talking about in verse 1 
and verse 15. In verse 1, the question's oriented to the consideration where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, and to the fallacy of inferring from this fact that we may continue in sin so grace may abound all the more. So in 1 through 14, Paul responds to this objection that the abundance of God's grace in Christ encourages sin by arguing Christ, in fact, sets believers free from sin. In verse 15, the question's oriented to the consideration that we are not under law and to the fallacy of, of the inference that we may, for that reason, transgress the law, and the law ceases to have relevance to us, and therefore we may engage in sin. And so what Paul's doing in verses 15 through 23 is emphasizing the flip side of freedom from sin, which is slavery to God and righteousness. In 6.1, it's a question of sinning in order to gain more grace. In 6.15, it's a question of sinning because we already have grace. But Paul sees in God's grace not only a liberating power, but a constraining one as well, the constraint of a willing obedience that comes from a renewed heart and mind, and ultimately, as we'll see in verse 6 of chapter 7, um, the impulse and leading of God's spirit. So the idea is we're free from sin, but that freedom doesn't make us free to sin. So what do you, um, we don't like to think of ourselves as slaves, Slavery is um, now, as in then, was a thing that um, many people saw as shameful, as we talked about uh, way back at the beginning of this class when Paul identified himself as a slave um, back in chapter 1. And Paul even acknowledges that slavery doesn't quite <laughs> capture the relationship fully. Um, he adds that caveat. In, in um, verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your limitations, uh, your natural limitations. Um, so let's flesh this out, though. In what sense are we now slaves? What does it mean that we're um, slaves of righteousness or slaves of God? Yeah, right. Okay, so our relationship to the law has changed. Like, we're not looking at the law as the, the you know, the means by which we achieve um, righteousness or right relationship with God. We no longer see the law as our means of justification. We now see the law as, and, and we'll see this later in chapter 7, Paul will talk about this as he fleshes out 
the Christian's relationship to the law, that the law sets forth, the, the law in itself is good. Like, you know, the law is setting out God's um, will for how men should live. And that becomes the standard by which our lives and judge, and the standard by which, as you say, we can see growth and change in our lives. But I will say it, it's, he, he's setting something a little more definitively than it's now we choose. He, he's saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> you have a new master whom you're to obey. It's not you get to decide, you know, I'm going to do evil, I'm going to do good. Um, you know, it's the way Christ says, you can't serve two masters. And it's that kind of principle Paul is using here. You've been freed from that master. You have now been put under the mastery of 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 righteousness under the mastery of God. And sanctification, and um, Landon raised this last week, the, the, this idea John Murray used to talk about, you know, we are definitively sanctified in Christ. Like, it, it, it is just as, um, just as complete as, you know, as justification and glorification and all those things will be. Like, so there's, there's this, we've been definitively sanctified by Christ's work on the cross. There's also what's called progressive sanctification, and that is this, are in this life, in this sinful world, as we exist in it, we will experience that process of growth. And this is what Paul is going to talk about more in chapter 7. But here he's emphasizing the, the, the fact we have been definitively changed. Like, there has been a decisive change of status. We're no longer slaves to sin, and so we can't be in a position that we're still running off to that old master. Um, the dominion of that master has been broken. We have a new master, um, and uh, we have a new way of, of relating to that master, and so we seek to obey him not out of the same kind of slavish fear from the law that we're, if we don't obey, we're going to you know, feel the consequences. No, Christ has paid for the consequences. We're serving now out of this, as Paul's saying, you know, out of our hearts. You know, we've become obedient from the heart. The law is changed. You know, like under the old way, it's like the, the law is this external set of constraints constraints trying to mold us into something we're not. Um, you know, like the little braces on, I saw Forrest Gump this week, like, you know, you know, Forrest's legs are messed up and they put him in these brace things that, you know, try to force his legs into something that naturally they're not. Um, whereas in this, the, the change is, is internal. God has done a work in our hearts that that changes the way we look at him and look at the law. So the law, you know, it's that idea of Luther's again. You know, when he used to hear the word righteousness of God, he thought of God's right standard of judgment and, and saw, I'm, I don't like that because that means I'm going to be punished. That means I'm going to be judged um, um, fairly, and as a sinner, I know I, I deserve that punishment. And the transfer, the change comes 
when he sees the righteousness of God as God's gift to us. Um, so we're not in a position where we're trying to earn God's favor. We're in a position of having changed hearts and having this, this new way of spirit imprint in us. We, we, we're changed to live a different way than we used to. Yeah, so we, yeah, our condition has changed. Like, our, our tools have changed. Um, you know, our relationship to sin has decisively changed because of, of God's work in us. And again, as, as Paul will go on in chapter 7, that doesn't mean we're completely free of sin or, or see um, perfection as something achievable in this life. But our relationship to sin is definitively changed by Christ's work on the cross and through his life-giving resurrection and by our union with him, we can no longer um, uh, relate to sin the same way, which is, again, that's the imperative or the indicative truth that leads to these imperatives. So don't present your members... <laughs> as instruments of sin. Like, because of this decisive reality, don't act like you're still under the old reality. Yeah, David. And again, uh, can I hold that one? Because that's what he's going to do in chapter 7. He, he, I mean, I, and your, your question literally is what, you know, he follows with. So let's save that, like, this, this internal struggle, because this is what, what Paul is going to be, you know, wrestling with in, in verse 7. Now, uh, you, know, um, you know, it's no longer what I do, do it, but sin that dwells within me. Like, so this whole, like the internal, our internal struggle with sin. Um, but what he's trying to emphasize now is this the theological reality that, that there, there has been a definitive act by Christ that has changed our relationship to sin. It, it hasn't erased it from us, but it has removed it from its fundamental ruling power. And, and, and sometimes, like... The way I, I counsel people who are struggling, like, uh, you know, particularly with assurance, I still sin. And, and the, my, my answer often is that the fact that you struggle and the fact that you're grieving over the fact that you're, you're, you sin is a sign <laughs> that a definitive change has taken place. Because before, you didn't care. <laughs> you know, you went triply, merrily down the road of sin. Now, you know, you, 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 when you sin, as Ronnie was saying, you repent of it. It grieves you because you know it grieves your heavenly father. You know, you don't grieve because, oh, you know, under that old way, like, well, you know, it's Mark's and 
and you know, marks for and demerits against. And so that I've earned another demerit that I've got to, you know. It, no, you grieve because it, it offends the God who, who loves you, the God who died for you. So prior, sin and death. You know, and it's that idea, like he's, he's kind of like, so in chapter 5, he had that idea, we, we were once as human beings in Adam. And, and now, you know, Christ has come. And so Christ, our, our positionality, we're in a new humanity, a new humanity through grace in Christ. And so, um, so he was using that in terms of like our standing, our relationship with God. We're, we're now justified before, before, before God because now God sees us in Christ rather than seeing us in Adam. And so then he builds on that in, in chapter 6 with this idea of you know, moving from justification to sanctification. So we can't take that idea and say, oh, I, you know, grace has set me free. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, I'm, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> or I'll sin more so, so grace can abound. No, Paul says. And then they're like, oh, you know, well, you know, I, I, I'm free from sin, so I can keep merrily along in it. And he's like, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's the dominion of sin. Uh, so, like, verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. So he's kind of using sin, death, and law as kind of his triumvirate of ruling powers over us. And now we're under this tri triumvirate of grace and obedience and Christ. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's this, and that's the glorious truth that he's presenting here. Like, and under that old system, like, you know, and it's the culminating verse of chapter six, under that old system, it's kind of like, it's, you're, you're compensated by wages. <laughs> it's a wage system. You get what you deserve. And, and while, you know, in our American individualism, we like that. <laughs> Pull yourself up by the bootstraps, work hard, like, and, you know, we resist that. Like, my sister hates the parable of where, um, the, the parable of the workers, where they come and the guys who agree, you know, and work all day for a wage get paid the same as the guy who came the last hour and got paid the same thing. She hates that because... The people who worked all day deserve more. And, and that's because she's still under that kind of wage mindset. Um, and, and that is the mindset of the realm of sin. And Paul's saying the wages of sin are death. The wages of the law are death. Um, but in this, you know, our new position we, we're, that we've entered into, it's, it's through gift. It, it's it's purely 
God's gracious act toward us. Um, so we're not doing it, you know, when, when, when he's, our obedience isn't coming from the sense we have to earn God's favor. We're doing it out of this thankful response to the work that God has done for and in us. So it's, it, it, this change has taken place in us. And he wants us to know that because we can feel like it's so easy to fall into that trap of, um, you know, on one side, we can get off the track and fall into some kind of legalistic mindset that, that you know, we have to um, do this or we'll be punished or, you know, to create law upon law upon law to govern ourselves. Or on the other side, we can fall off, well, there is no law, and so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and he's trying to keep us on the straight of narrow that, that our new situation is that, um, you know, our new situation is that we who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to you which, to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It's that idea, like a definitive change has taken place in us that allows us and empowers us to live differently. I mean, and, and it's this idea, like, um, and it's the, the, the problem of our culture now with this, our, our emphasis on my identity as this or my identity as that it, it denies the fact that the gospel has a transforming power that fundamentally changes every aspect of my identity. And, and that's, again, the idea is they, our culture sees Christianity requires slavery to righteousness. Like, that's how they see us. They get that part. What they don't understand is that in this world, apart from that union with Christ, we're enslaved, we're under the dominion of, of, the, of sin, and it, it rules over us. And I like your, the way Paul kind of personifies sin here, but the way you're talk, describing like sin is this amorphous kind of power. And, and that's, um, oh, I don't know if I want to go on this rabbit trail or not. Um, I, I actually use this I, idea to, um, to make an, an argument like in the, my setting, I, I've got to be like really creative how I, I make arguments against things like abortion. And I actually have this argument that abortion being made legal doesn't give a woman a choice of her body. It actually subjects her to more forces than the law does, um, you know, the, the external law. Because now everybody has an opinion <laughs> and, and tells that person what she should do. Um, and the example I use is um, there was a radio or t television broadcaster in um, Los Angeles, and uh, she had didactylism, so the few fingers on her hands were refused, so she had, um, you know, something like that. So basically two fingers, her four fingers were fused into two. Um, and early in her career, she wore prosthetics to hide it because her employers, but then she kind of, said, no, you know, let me be who I am. And so one night, she, she was married to a Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher. I can't remember which one. This was the early 80s. And um, 
She announced on the news broadcast she was pregnant. Next morning, her friend calls her. You need to turn on the radio. Turns on the radio. Talk radio was having callers call in, and they were having a debate over whether or not she should have the baby, because the baby would have a 50% chance of having the same condition that she would. And is it, you know, how could she possibly think of bringing a child into, and so, like, it's one, assaulting her, like saying, well, because her fingers are fused, she's less than a human. <laughs> um, but it's also a way, like, you know, by it being a dispersed force, that doesn't mean it's powerless. Like, it, it actually makes it more um, invagely <laughs> and harder to deal with, um, harder to root out. Um, but, it, but it's that idea, Paul is saying, it's not in a, sin is no longer in that power to dictate where you should go. It's still there, it's like this guerrilla force working in you, but it's not the one setting the law in your life. It's not the one setting how you should obey. I mean, I think it, 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 it relates to, to why Paul is saying um, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. You know, it's that idea, like, don't try to inaugurate them into the old system when we're, everybody is under the new. Um, and his, his Roman audience, um, you know, he's going to emphasize, like, uh, this idea, and, and that's why he's using more words than just law, like, um, that he's using, like, it, you don't have to understand the, the Jewish system of law to understand your slaves to sin, your, you know, to your, your slaves to, to doing the, the things that are, are wrong. So there's a way, um, he, and, and this debate comes a lot with the beginning of chapter 7. Like, it, is now, is that a point where he's specifically zeroing in on his Jewish audience? Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law? Like, is he making an aside there to specifically sort of, there are Jews and Gentile Christians in Rome, and at this point he's like, wants to single out the people who particularly know and relate to the law. But he's already established earlier in the book that even those people who didn't have the external law, still had the law written on their hearts so that no one's you know, without excuse. And so he's emphasized the universality of sin and death early on, and now he's describing how Christ has broken that, that reign, that universal reign of sin and death.
think it was the Romans would get there based on this idea of slavery. Because they see slavery around them, right? They see the, they see the slaves in their houses, maybe. Or they may be slaves in their houses. So they, they kind of get this idea that you that you gotta serve somebody. Yeah, John. Um, I would say, in, in Paul's logic, the face behind sin in human terms is Adam. <laughs> like, that's what he's doing in, in chapter 5. Like, how is it that we are under, under the reign of sin and death? We're under the reign of sin and death because of we're in Adam. Um, and because as he sinned, we sinned in him. And, and as we talked about when we looked at chapter 5, that's also the good news because of that same kind of corporate understanding of humanity, that if we're in Christ, we possess the righteousness of Christ, and in him we have life, because grace superabounds. So just as through one act of Adam brought sin and death, through the one act of Christ has brought uh, grace and life and righteousness. Um, so from, from Paul's perspective, I think in these chapters, he's not thinking of 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 sin as um, the kind of satanic forces. And it's not that Paul doesn't believe in those satanic forces exist. He does. But that's not his focus here. His focus is more on this kind of idea of sin itself and as being part of the sin and death uh, corporate reign over us. That that's what we've been freed from. Um, and John has the picture in terms of Satan. It's, it's the same thing. You can throw Satan in there too, and John describes Satan as you know the serpent has been been struck, and and the death blow has been struck. It's still thrashing around. It's like my neighbor Mark, growing up, used to uh, bush hog, and you know every summer he'd he'd hit a rattlesnake um, with the bush hog, and and like we'd go up and like prod the rattlesnake with a stick. And even though the snake is dead, <laughs> um, you know, it still would lash out and do damage. So that's why kids 
Never play with a dead snake. It can still strike. Um, learned that the hard way, thankfully. <laughs> I did learn that the hard way. I learned it with the stick, learned it the hard way. Um, and, and that's the idea here. So I, I, I agree with you, like, in the gospel picture as a whole, it, it you know, the, we know that there's a serpent in the garden that lies behind Adam's sin. But in, in terms of what Paul's doing here, we're either in Adam and in the sin and death that his act brought to humanity, or we're in Christ and we're, we have the, the righteousness and eternal life that his act purchased. Yeah, and later he's going to say, you've been set free from the law of sin and death, and you've been made children. Um, so, so, and he even says here, that I think that's why, exactly why, Brian, he says, you know, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. And what he's trying to emphasize here is, is what human relationship has absolute mastery. And that's what he's getting at. Like, we are no longer masters of or we're not masters of ourselves. We're no longer mastered by sin. We have a different master. Like our, the lordship in our life has changed. We've been freed from sin, but we haven't become lords over ourselves. We've become subject to our one Lord, Jesus Christ, our one Lord and Savior. So there's that, you know, again, he's using slavery and he, he acknowledges like, as a metaphor, it has limitations. It doesn't express fully what God has done for us. But in human terms, this is the best way that I can explain, I, Paul, can explain how God has mastery over you and sin doesn't have mastery over you anymore because this, the, the ruling authority over you has been definitively changed. And just as a slave has to do the will of its master, so now you too, you're to perform righteousness because you have a different master. Yeah, and even then, like, the new life in Christ is not slavery as it exists among men. It is, in fact, as Paul tells us, slavery to Christ is the highest and only freedom we have. Like, you know, that, that it's, it's through Christ's work that we've been set free. And this is what um, Christ is saying in John. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. So uh, again, uh, to emphasize, like it's not slavery in terms of human slavery. It's 
slavery to God actually means human freedom. This is the only way in which we can be free, is to be free and set free in Christ. Yeah, Bill, you wanted to say something? Yeah, and notice it's at that point, you know, Isaiah sh changes from a person cowering in the presence of God to a person who now says, send me. <laughs> you know, and, and it's that idea, like the atoning work of Christ does something in us that, that changes us. Um, and so we have a liberty. Um, a, uh, there's a Puritan confession of faith that put it this way. The liberty which Christ purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind. Or Calvin said it this way, between the yoke of Christ and that of sin, there is so much contrariety that no one can bear them both. If we sin, we give ourselves up to the services of sin. But the faithful, on the contrary, have been redeemed from the tyranny of sin that they may serve Christ. It is therefore impossible for them to remain bound to sin. And, and that's, that's Paul's point here. It's the imperative of, or indicative of what God has done for us that empowers the imperative of the, the, of the commands. Do not render yourselves obedient to that old master anymore because you've been set free from it. All right, uh, well, we're at time, so I, I need to close, and I wanted to do verses 1 through 6 today, and it didn't happen. <laughs> so we'll pick up chapter uh, 7 uh, next week, um, but let's pray. Uh, gracious God, we do uh, rejoice um, in the, the glorious good news of your gospel that um, you have uh, freed us in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. And you have, have uh, given the law of the spirit of life uh, inside us um, through our union with Christ. Um, and this changes us. Um, and it changes us, as Paul will say in, in chapter 8, uh, in a way that we can consider that the sufferings of the present time are worth nothing compared to the glory that's to be revealed uh, to us. Um, and so we, we thank you for Christ, um, the definitive saving work of Christ, that uh, through him we're justified and through him um, we've been regenerated and given uh, new hearts. Uh, through him we're sanctified and through him uh, we will uh, be glorified and that um, all these things come through what Christ has done for us. So... Um, Help us uh, to yield obedience to you as our lawful master. Uh, help us um, be uh, obedient servants, conforming us to the pattern of teaching that you've given us in your word, um, not out of slavish fear of punishment, but out of thankful response 
to the freedom that we have received in Jesus Christ um, and help us to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, even now in the coming hour through your spirit. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.